The Marching Roundtable is proud to be an official media partner of Drum Corps International and Music for All. I read this cool quote. It's like, curiosity is a superpower, you know, staying foolish, staying curious. And all of the things that I think I, I learned in Drum Corps, um, how to work together, how to motivate, how to coach, how to swallow my pride, how to not overreact, how to um, mentor, how to teach, um, you know, hitting a timeline, getting the music finished. Um, all of those things, you know, creating goals and, 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 and actually creating a, a space where the students are getting better, you know, um, they're getting better and they maybe don't realize they're getting better because you're creating a great environment. All of those things I found in pageantry that I was so scared would not apply because that's all I could do. I found out absolutely do apply to the real world. Not only do they apply, they, they accelerate the process. That's Michael McIntosh. And on this podcast, he's joined by Tim Fairbanks, Chelsea Levine, and Tony Lyman. All of these highly successful educators and designers have gone on to use the skills and traits they learned in the marching arts in new ways out in the real world. We all tell our students and parents all the time how participation in marching and music will benefit them, no matter what they decide to do in life. And here are four real-world examples that will inspire you and remind you what is possible. Thanks to the sponsor of this podcast, Fred J. Miller Incorporated, found at fjminc.com slash roundtable. This is an excerpt of a video webinar that you can watch at Marching Arts Education. There's a link to that webinar where this podcast is located at the Marching Roundtable. The pageantry hustle in the real world on the Marching Roundtable. This podcast is sponsored by FJM, Fred J. Miller Incorporated, found at fjminc.com. FJM is the leader in marching arts uniform manufacturing and continues to lead the charge through groundbreaking design, superior service, and over 60 years of industry innovation. You can find the latest marching band, color guard, drumline, and drum corps uniform designs, as well as shop the marching arts merchandise store at fjminc.com slash roundtable. Enter discount code ROUNDTABLE at checkout to receive 10% off your online merchandise order. That's ROUNDTABLE, all one word, at checkout to receive 10% off any online merchandise order. Fred J. Miller Incorporated, found at fjminc.com slash roundtable. Family owned and operated since 1960. Hey guys, this is Shane Gwaltney here with Music City Mystique and Sync Tip Designs. I highly encourage you to visit Marching Arts Education and peruse their site and check out what they have to offer and sign up for membership. We've been working all summer to help out a lot of drum corps, uh, get their word out, and there's tons and tons of content on there that will help you uh, further your education and, and move forward with everything Marching Arts related. Hey everybody, it's Tim Hinton, the Beast of the Marching Arts. Welcome to Marching Arts Education. We have four ringers with us tonight, everybody. Really smart, important, intelligent, accomplished people in the world of the pageantry arts. And this is going to be fun. We're going to talk about the pageantry hustle in the real world. How do you take those, those things you learned in pageantry, the things you do in pageantry, and apply them to the real world? And of course, that's something we know 
we use what talk about with our students all the time. But here we are talking about sort of in a more professional setting. So this can be great. Let me say hi to everybody. Michael McIntosh, how are you, sir? Hello. Thank you for having me. I'm so glad you're here. Tim Fairbanks, how are you tonight? Hey, everybody. Doing great. Thanks for having us. Absolutely. Chelsea Levine, how are you, Chelsea? Great. Thanks for having me as well. So glad you're here. And Tony Lyman, how are you? Wonderful. Michael, where do we start this? Because I think you guys are all so famous. I don't know if we need to actually do introductions, um, but maybe we need to talk about, um, I think it's really interesting, this sort of premise, like each of you is maybe doing something outside in the real world that you weren't doing originally or weren't even doing recently. So how would you like to start that? Well, I guess, uh, yeah, that's exactly right, Tim. So um, I reached out to, uh, on one of our WGI um, Zooms, I reached out to Joe Allison about an idea. And uh, I've been talking to um, Tim Fairbanks about, you know, what he's been doing. You know, we stayed in touch through COVID. And then I had an awesome chance to work with Chelsea um, at the uh, Rose Parade Honor Band. And I haven't tried any of Tony Lyman's uh, delicious coffee, but I've heard nothing but the best. So kind of all four of us uh, tended to take maybe what we had learned in pageantry and start to kind of apply it maybe to other parts of our lives. Uh, would you guys, would you folks say that that's a fair assessment? Absolutely. So I started uh, with the pandemic, uh, obviously, I needed to do something. So I put myself out there. I started selling, selling point of sale systems. Um, you know, I, I just, I did, it didn't resonate with me. And then I, I'm a big believer in renewable energy. So I actually pivoted into um, sales with a company out of uh, Utah, solar company. And then that led into another company. Uh, which I was working for out of Iowa, selling commercial and residential solar. And it was really like giving these 90-minute clinics, talking about what you believe in, what you love, trying to be authentic. And, you know, if people like you, they, you know, they tend to want to work with you. And uh, I got kind of headhunted from there. So I've had this kind of crazy journey. Uh, so now I'm working for a, a, a software company selling a cloud product and, uh, I, I really love it. So that's what I'm doing. Tim, what are you doing now? Uh, besides, obviously, everything in the, in the indoor arts. Yeah, so I had a bit of the same journey through COVID. Um, my wife, Jody, and I had always joked for maybe the last 15 or 20 years that uh, my job security was really strong because there's always going to be marching bands, right? Uh, there will always be people that need drill and consultants. And it, it was almost like a non sequitur. Like we thought, well, this will just always continue. And then COVID proved us wrong. And I went from 15 clients to two clients in the fall. And at that point, I, was, I did the same thing you did. I said, well, I have to make some money somehow. And started researching what different outlets that I had open to me. Um, I don't have a business degree. I don't have a degree in engineering, right? It's all pageantry-based. But in real estate, you can go back to school and you can get a real estate degree in a pretty small amount of time. And that activity deals with people. It's commission-based. So if I do a better job, I make more money. Um, and I get to make my own hours. So those three things were parallel to what I'd already been experiencing. 
And so I basically just dove headfirst into real estate. And you felt that pivot was pretty natural regarding some of the skills and some of the things that you were used to doing? It was. It really was. And it was kind of surprising. Um, one of the things in, in real estate school, they tell you right away, they're like, listen, you're going to deal with a lot of a lot of really finicky clients, a lot of people that that want everything and they want it to be perfect. They want this, this, and this. And I was like, listen, I've been writing drill and dealing with garden designers for 20 years. Like I can, I can handle somebody that wants to be a little picky. And the, the beauty of it is that like, if I take a client to a house and they say, well, we don't really like this one. I take them to a different one and I didn't build that house. Normally I built that house and they say, I don't like it. And I'm like, dreams crushed, right? Here, I'm like, nope, cool. Let's go see five more houses. Now, Chelsea, you have a bit of a different pathway uh, regarding moving from pageantry. Your business expertise and your business is actually kind of still in this sector, although you do have some projects in the works. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so I'm founder and CEO of Seavine. Um, that's been my full-time job since 2016, but we were officially founded in 2012 and our products uh, predate that as well. Um, we were full steam ahead going into COVID. Definitely um, some of our best years just kind of exponentially growing um, with WGI finals getting canceled and the pandemic hitting. Um, we started hosting a few virtual events and kind of realized pretty quickly, like, okay, well, we're going to need to do something else um, if we're going to be able to stay in this business. Um, I'm very frugal, and we had uh, a savings for this sort of emergency situation to ever arise. Um, but what we were able to do is launch safety products as they related to COVID um, basically first. Um and we were able to help a lot of schools and you know various ensembles stay active and rehearsing and performing in one capacity or another. Um, 2020 ended up being uh, our best year uh, to date revenue wise, which was really exciting and something I'm very proud of. Um, it also introduced us to uh, a whole new group of uh, people that we could potentially sell to because our products are uh, for cymbal players and now horn line players with the safety products, it wasn't just marching ensembles. It was wind ensembles and, you know, just large groupings of musicians who had never previously heard of Seavine who now are relying on us to be able to operate and stay in the classroom. Um, so we were able to pivot in that uh, direction from a Seavine perspective. Um, it also led myself and my husband Tomas to start a new business as well uh, that had been something we had really wanted to do but didn't really have the time to do it. Um, so we're going to be launching this year, although we've been working on it for two years now, a company called Teak and it's a mobile and web app that is for video and photo analysis. So it essentially is going to be a tool that helps with uh, feedback on let's say, for example, video assignments within the marching arts, but really anything where technique is important. So that's sports and arts um, and 
honestly, everything business related as well, kind of endless opportunity of anything that you would want to learn and develop. Um, so we've been able to spend a significant amount of time on that and collaborate with people that we previously uh, hadn't had the opportunity to collaborate with. Do you feel that some of the stuff that you did in Seavine helped you along your path with this new development of this new app? Like some of the things that you were gathering knowledge-wise that you were dealing with the experiences kind of helped perpetuate this? Absolutely. I mean, just like Tim, I don't have my MBA. Uh, I really just have street cred um, and have tried to just figure out everything as I go. I feel like there's no true textbook to starting a business um, because every single business is so unique and presents its own challenges that you just have to have this figure it out kind of mentality. Um, those hurdles are endless when it comes to manufacturing, but also with tech, uh, there's just, you know, hurdles that you could have never dreamed of uh, just to make something work and launch and, and whatnot. So uh, I definitely think that what I've learned via Seavine over the years is directly translating into a tech company as well. It's interesting. Can you, I love this story. Can you tell the story about the child that came to you one day and said, yeah, so this was back in 2009. I was teaching with Tim at Centerville. Um, it was my first season uh, teaching the symbol line for the Centerville jazz band. And uh, one of my symbol students got pulled out of class from a math teacher because he had all these scrapes and cuts on his wrists. Uh, and then it was the band director, Brandon Barametti, and Tim who came to me and said, uh, hey, did you know that they're getting, this guy's getting pulled out of class? And when, he, when the teacher approached him, he said, no, 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 I'm not hurting myself. I'm just in the marching band. You know, don't worry. Uh, I'm a good kid. <laughs> um, and so that was when the idea came of, well, can we buy them gloves? Well, not really, because everything on the market at the time uh, would really hinder the cymbal strap and uh, playing the instrument itself. And that's when creating a, a glove and a sleeve came to be. Um, and in reality, the design from 2009 uh, hasn't changed too, too much, all things considered. It really had a clear idea of what it needed to be. Um, certainly structurally in design, it's uh, far more refined now than it was uh, 12 years ago. But uh, <laughs> yeah, well, it's, it's tons of creativity in taking a situation like that and going, you know, everyone that, that now has these, like maybe didn't realize, you know, how important it was like, I didn't know I needed these until I got them. Uh, so good job on taking the creative aspect of you know, what we do and applying it to a situation and going, you know, I think there's an idea in there. Speaking of creativity, Tony, maybe the ultimate pivot. Talk us through that. Well, actually, my pivot started eight years ago um, when uh, I started to try to learn all of the things for my high school and for us to compete in the class that we were in and not having a lot of resources. I had to learn a lot of the, the, the things myself as far as set design and costume design because we just didn't have the money or the resources to, to, to hire a lot of people to do that. <clears throat> so in learning those things, um, outside people would see the results of that with my group and ask me to do it for them. And then 
from that, people who weren't even in the activity started to see things that I did with set design and with video and with graphic design. And they were asking me to do it for, hey, can you shoot a commercial for my car company? Or um, we're doing a theater production. Can you come help with that? And after that started happening over and over again, um, during the middle of the time of me learning how to do that, my daughter was born. And um, that presented the challenge of, you know, we all meet ourselves going, leaving the house. And, and, you know, because of all the responsibilities that we have and the amount of time we have to put into it, um, I was a band director, a full-time band director and trying to do the indoor drum line and do the um, marching band um, and try to work for all of these clients. And so that presented the problem of, I was giving away more of my time than I had from my daughter and my family and my wife and, and all these things. So I made the pivot of going to my administration and saying, hey, my work isn't done here, but um, I, I, I'm, I'm not gonna make it at this pace. And, and I recognize this is all of my own doing, you know, uh, I think this activity and what we do kind of turns us into opportunists. And that has, um, you know, as, as awesome as that, that is, it, it, there's a downside to it. And I saw myself quickly approaching the law of diminishing returns on that. So I worked out a, a thing with the school district where I could still teach the drum line and, and that was still my baby, but I could still um, do my design business. And um, from that, my design business was born. Um, and some years passed and uh, I came up with the idea of one adventure into uh, doing some apparel for the marching arts. I felt like that was a space that, <clears throat> you know, didn't have, I, I didn't feel like it was saturated. So I got into it, started developing products for about two years, ready to launch. COVID hits. And so that kind of just, that was the whole business model was blown up from that. And um, so I had been, one of my band parents, one of my, my right hand prop dads had been roasting coffee in a skillet at his, in his garage. And he invited me over one day and I was like, I didn't even know that, a, like, like I had no idea that a regular person could roast coffee. I thought it was something that was done in like Colombia. So I, I, I hadn't, I just, it was one of those things I never thought of what the process was. And um, so we started doing that and I got bored and like most people had nothing but time and YouTube and I went down a rabbit hole of, uh, of watching people roast coffee. And I bought this little roaster from Amazon and I started developing things. And, and then I got to thinking, I was like, what if I took that brand, the branding that I was doing with the apparel stuff and I put it on coffee because I noticed that a lot of people were very passionate, almost like the coffee that they drank was their identity. And, you know, like even just, when you talk about people's music, they get offended. Like you talked about them. It was the same with coffee. And I was like, well, I know this space. I know these people. I know, I know how this works. So I came up with the idea of um, 
trying to get different beans from different countries. And in my brain, when I would think of Brazil, I thought of Carnival, I thought of a berimba, I thought of all of the percussion instruments. When I thought of Bali, I thought of gamelan. So all of these countries where the beans came from, I thought of percussion instruments. And that, I was like, that's the hook right there. That's it. And um, so I came up with the name Earthbeat, which um, came from uh, the musical Blast, which kind of I have some roots from that that show. Um, one of the movements of that show is called Earthbeat. And um, <clears throat> I couldn't just do that. I wanted to make the name unique spelled uniquely spelled so that it could stick. And um, I changed the. I forgot how you spell Earth. I changed the A to a Y, and I used the logo from a previous from the previous band, brand that I had with the swag, and um, I built a website. And um, and you know, I thought you know I, I had no expectations, and within about a month, I had reached what I thought I would do in a year. Um, so I found some investors and. Um, now I'm about to open a full-fledged coffee shop here in my town and hopefully going to put Starbucks out of business. That's the, that's the goal. He said he just decided to build a website. That's amazing. <laughs> so I just built a website. I mean, you can, you can, you can hear in everybody's story that there's a sense of, of, you know, necessity is the mother of invention. Like we all, you know, kind of were like, okay, this is the, these are the cards we've been dealt. Um, we did a workshop uh, earlier with some things that we had talked about and, you know, full disclosure uh, with all of the, uh, the, the compliance training, sensitivity training, unconscious bias training that I've been taking uh, through my corporate job. It's been really amazing. And it's, it's really, you know, kind of made me open up. One of the things that I struggled with, and I don't know if, if you folks feel the same, is I always felt like maybe this is all I could do was, you know, drumming or run an ensemble or teach, you know, a marching band or, you know, write, try to write a cool band chart or a drum corps chart or, you know, cool samples with electronics. And, you know, there's obviously so many more people talented than I that are doing amazing things with sound design. So I, I just, I started going, you know, I wonder if I could do anything. I remember teaching Gateway being picked up by Chad Schriegler, who had a job at Postscripts. And I was just always thinking, like, what am I going to be doing in, in 10 years? And, you know, as crazy as the pandemic was, um, the, the blessing that came out of that for me was how much I realized I valued my time with my family. I've got two young daughters. And I, I really wanted to find something that I could do that would empower me to spend more time at home. Because I've been the I've done that band director grind, you know, where you're at school teaching lessons till nine o'clock and then you're back, at, you're back at 6.30 doing the same thing. But for me, it was that fear of not being able to do anything else. And that really held me back. And that anxiety of, you know, going, I don't know if I'm good at anything. I don't necessarily think it, it was, I need to be good at something. It was, I'm not sure if I can create a revenue stream outside of what I'm doing. Um, I don't know if, if, it doesn't seem like anybody else really had that type of, of, of anxiety. Maybe I'm wrong on that, but, um, you know, one of the things that we all talked about was the fact that we learned so much in pageantry that taught us 
hindsight, we're all sitting at Cracker Barrel talking on a Sunday. We look back at the week and go, hindsight being 2020, everything we learned in pageantry was something that was a skill. Um, and I think the biggest thing that I've that I've gotten is my work ethic when it comes to the hustle. Because when you're your own brand, you know, and Chelsea, you can speak to this, Tony, Tim, you know, you're showing your houses. I mean, when you're rec when you're the face of the company, so to speak, there is a lot of pressure, you know, to make that right. So what are y'all's thoughts on that? I know we wrote down some words like uh, structure, work ethic, vulnerability, performing, listening, uh, coping mechanisms, communication. I mean, everything I learned in drum corps as a marching member and everything I've learned as a staff member since then has applied. And I think the biggest thing has been the hustle game. I mean, I am used to busting my butt and I, you don't realize you have that mentality until you are put in a different cauldron of people. What, you know, Tim, I don't know. What, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I have um, a lot of thoughts on that. Actually, I, I think the biggest one for me um, that is tangible is in real estate. And this is something I didn't know about real estate ahead of time, but like in our brokerage, there's 50 agents and we're literally competing against each other, right? There's only so many houses. There's only so many listings. Um, and my instinct right now, like if the four of us were about to go do paintball, I would try to figure out what Tony's weakness is at paintball and exploit that. And I would know that Chelsea's going to hide in a crevice and I'm going to have to get my sniper rifle out to get her. But I'm trying to figure out what their weaknesses are so that I can beat those people because that's what I've been trying to do for 20 years. Um, and I think that that competitive nature doesn't exist in most people that are out in nature and as, as we call it, the real world where they're like, well, you know, if I get a, a listing, that's cool. Or I've been doing it like this for a while. So I guess I'll keep doing it. And I'm like this form, I filled this form out twice the same exact way. And it wasted 15 minutes of my time. I'm going to figure out a better way to do this. Like, right now and so my my time management tr translates into an increased revenue that other people just aren't thinking in that kind of um sharp mentality that we've all been bred to do because we we get points at the end of the season and if mike is smarter than me this year then i'm going to try and figure out how to be smarter than him next year or get better kids or get better listings all those things they all add up it took uh tony had a quote that I thought was incredible. Uh, our normal is crisis mode anywhere else. That's what he said. I just thought that was genius because we've all dealt with, I mean, I remember just getting the tarp to Dayton was like a big deal. I mean, a much less, you know, performing and, and, and being competitive. Uh, you know, Tony, would you agree that you feel like we are kind of built to not, not only succeed, but do it in perhaps a disruptive manner because we're, we're used to this grind. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think the thing that's most unique about what we do is not necessarily the competitive aspect that that is the the major piece of it. I think it's the fact that you have to show your work. And you can you can talk the game that you want to talk. You can you can say whoever you are or or, or think whatever you want to think about yourself at the end of the day what you've been working on has to be shown in front of all of your peers, in front of everybody. 
and 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 it's a knowledgeable crowd too. That's the thing, especially especially the WGI crowd. That that's not a varied group of people. Those people are seasoned and they know what they want to see. And it's it's tough to go into that room and do something that will get an honest reaction. And so when you're sitting around and <clears throat> you know it, it it's it's all about the value of what you're able to bring to the table at the end of the day. And you, you know, I don't know of any other entities out in the real world where you're going to have to show your work and it is you. It is a direct reflection of what you know, how you know it and when you can make it happen. And I think that is the one thing that drives us all. Jeff, how about you? Any thoughts on things that you've picked up that really have applied that maybe surprised you or maybe a skill you didn't realize you, you know, you, you thought you might have, but you realized you have a lot of it? Well, I feel like, I mean, I grew up in a city, and so I feel like I always had to be resource, resourceful and had street smarts to figure out one thing or another. Um, when it came time to doing drum corps and, and indoor, um, I think the thing that was most eye-opening to me was just the freedom that I felt while I was marching or even teaching drum corps, that that lifestyle was something that was um, so appealing to me that I could work during one part of the year and then just be free and on the road or gone for the weekends, for example, um, and perform and eventually start teaching. Um, and that was something that I became really attracted to. Simultaneously, I was working for Apple, which was an extremely flexible job. I'd work for Apple, I'd drive up to Centerville and teach, or I'd work for Apple, I'd go on tour for a month. Um, and that's what I got addicted to, was that freedom of being able to, um, I don't know, create a lifestyle that I wanted to live. And I feel like a lot of people ask you, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up? But they don't really ask you what kind of lifestyle you want to have. Like you guys have mentioned that you want to spend more time with your family and your kids. Um, and for me, it's I feel like it's suffocating to be told you have 10 vacation days a year. You have to be somewhere at 8 a.m. and you can't leave until 5 and you have to eat your lunch at this time. And those are just all things that uh, are sort of my worst nightmare. Um, and so once I sort of stumbled into entrepreneurship and I realized like, wow, okay, I get to use my resourcefulness. Um, I know a lot of people in this activity specifically that can, uh, you know, ideas spread like wildfire. People in the marching arts and, you know, the pageantry in general, they, everybody loves a good idea. I feel like it's a very positive community to be a part of. Um, and we've all helped uh, and spread our knowledge for free just to help the greater good. Um, and I think that that was really the key thing that I took away is I was in school and I decided, you know what? No, I want to go March Rhythm X. And then I got back in school and I thought, wow, these things I'm learning, they're great and all, but I'm learning so much more by just doing and researching on my own and talking to people in the industry that I feel like over time, I've sort of given myself my own MBA in, in one regard uh, or another. Um, so I think that that's my biggest takeaway is that I can sit here. I'm 
in my office, you know, today I work, I woke up at 8.30, but yesterday I woke up at 9.30. And, you know, last night I worked until, uh, you know, 9, 10 p.m. Today I was done at three o'clock and now I get to sit here and talk to you guys. Um, and th that's the thing that I hold most important to me is that I can sort of do my work and be passionate about something, but I can do that on my own time, uh, make my own rules. I could be here, I could be halfway across the world and uh, be accomplishing these same goals. Well, I mean, it's, it's obvious that, you know, anything you're doing because there are no parameters would be thinking outside the box. And I think Tim kind of alluded to that with his take on, you know, an industry like real estate and even, you know, the tech industry, which for me is exciting because there's a lot of parallels to music. It's organic, it's alive, it's constantly evolving, it's changing. So I get, I get, you know, energy from that. And I always thought, oh man, there's no way I could ever do a nine to five. But then you realize you totally set up to do anything you want to do because everything you've already done, like, like, like Tony said it, I mean, there is no hiding in pageantry. You know, your process, your work ethic, your ability to communicate, your ability to teach, your ability to design, your ability to recruit is out there for everybody to see. And nobody is smarter sitting in the stands than those people standing and watching your group after their group has gone on. Um, the fact that in real estate, Tim, did you find some things where you were like, wait a second, because at one point you told me you were thinking of an app or you built an app where people could do real live, you know, commentary. Maybe you could actually jump on the, the T coattails and, and perhaps this is something that could apply to the real estate where people are critiquing the house as they walk through it, you're getting real time feedback. But did you find that, did you find Tim that you had ideas that were considered a bit not controversial, but outside the normal box of thinking for your, your space you're in? I did. And a lot of it was about being efficient. Um, one of the things that I've over the years really embraced is um, what my value is per hour. Um, I, I did a long time of teaching lessons and I loved it and I loved helping students. And I could, let's say this was 25 years ago. So let's say I made $25 an hour, which for a 22 year old kid, that's a pretty good wage, but there's a finite amount of hours in the week. There's a finite amount of kids to teach and there's a finite amount of um, personal ability to sit in a practice room with one other person for 40 hours. Like that's just really, really taxing. And so once I got into drill design, I realized, okay, so, I can do that $25 an hour, but let's say, the, so the math of drill design, right? It's more um, of a cap, like we're gonna pay you this amount of money. Um, there's a really good YouTube video by Chris Doe, he's the head of the future, um, all about what your value is that you add to an hour and not getting paid hourly. And if I get paid $4,000 for a drill, somebody else might take 160 hours to write that, right? Four 40 hour work weeks. And I've heard stories of that, right? You just toil and toil and re rewrite, rewrite until it's good or you think it's good and you still get paid that $4,000. If my expertise and my keyboard shortcuts and my templates that I've spent time making and my macros that will increase my workflow, maybe I can write that same show in 20 hours. 
And I can see that, like seven, seven full hours of creating for an opener, five for a ballad and eight for a closer. I can do that in 20 hours and feel good about the product. And now I'm making $200 an hour, which is a very good rate. And now I've saved myself 140 hours that I can then spend doing Rhythm X or spending with my family or maybe write another drill and double my output. Um, that same type of thing has happened in real estate. So a lot of that is more about paperwork and things like that. Um, one of the things I did right away was I would get a text from the, from the buyer. Well, who's the electric company? Who's the gas company? Who, who do I talk to about Wi-Fi? And then I'd have to talk to the seller and I go to their agent and I have to wait a day and I keep going back and forth. And I'm like, this is wasting time. So I just came up with a form that is in my dot loop. That's our like communication system that lets me give it to the buyer and, and then the seller fills it out and just gives them all that information. It's on them. I hit send. I've done like one mouse click instead of a half an hour worth of texts and phone calls. Um, and now that part of that job is done and it increases my per hour rate since it's a commission based thing. I mean, just the, when you're marching drum corps, when you're teaching, when you've got a Friday night rehearsal with a, you know, a two day show, I mean, efficiency is everything. Um, now Tony, you, you marched in, you know, one of the most prolific, um, efficiency Latin spots ever starred in Indiana, you know, Tom Canham, no note was wasted. Um, what is, what is, what are what, maybe one or two things that you could take from that experience that you found have really transferred to the back half of your life? The, um, the idea that something can be done exactly right. Ooh. And that's, that, that's, and I think for anybody, any, I, I was going to say for a kid who's, you know, 19 in a drum corps, that, that seems impossible. But I, I'm, as I'm thinking, I'm 49 now, and I know adults my age, in my age group, that don't have that concept. But <clears throat> you can do something exactly right. And um, it takes having a vision, having the determination to do it, and then making a plan to get there. And I think what, um, where people get hung up on is um, making the plan because the plan is gonna constantly be revised as you work towards the, the end result of it. So and you, you embrace being editorial basically, staying editorial. Exactly. I love exactly. that. And, and, and when, when you develop the, the um, the skill to revise the plan as you're working towards it and not just get discouraged um, because I think either side of that coin has diminishing returns. If you get defeatist, then that's the, the farthest away you get from um, feeling like you're going to reach that outcome, the less effort you're going to put in it and, and so on and so on. Sure. On the other side of that coin, the more you revise the plan, you become more efficient as Tim referred to, the closer you're getting to that, the more you want to work for it. And then you get to the point where you can, you can see something. And, and when you get to the point where the product is finished and you see it and it says exactly as you visioned it to be, then that just feeds you to want to do it again. And then you, you, you spread that along to other people and so on and so on. And it, it, it grows. 
Um, but that that's that the one big takeaway for, that I got from Hannah. If that doesn't stick, you don't reach that child, you don't finish that phrase, you can still go to sleep at night knowing that you marched star number three. I mean, that doesn't stick. <laughs> Um, for sure. Uh, Chelsea, let me ask you this. You teach all weekend at Rhythm X. Maybe you have a show. Um, you're sitting there having coffee. Um, Tony's coffee. I do. I think she does, actually. I think we talked about that in in Pasadena. And you're (laughs) thinking about how to approach, uh, approach, um, Tim and bring Teak to the real estate world. What, what parallels from the weekend of teaching at Rhythm X could you pull into that Monday morning? I feel like uh, something I've learned within the marching arts is that, you know, people are just people. I feel sure. like if, if people, if someone, uh, maybe a younger snare drummer met you for the first time, they might be a bit starstruck, nervous to talk to you. Maybe they wouldn't even approach you um, to begin with. But at the end of the day, people are just people. Um, and I have a bit of a sales background, uh, from working at Apple. And I think that everything is just a conversation. And I think if you present, if, if you present something like, Hey, this is what this does. And I think that this would benefit you, then they can make the decision on whether that's the case. If you need to convince them in one way or another, then it's probably not a good fit. Um, and those metrics sort of speak for themselves. If you're confident in what you offer, whether that's an app or a, a pair of symbol gloves or whatever the case is, um, you would hope that you build a product that stands on its own two feet that you don't need to defend uh, in any capacity, that you just can tell people, this, these are the facts of this thing, and I hope that you like it. <laughs> you know, it's funny that you say everything's a conversation, so... Uh, in my role, I'm like a global sales development rep where I'm dealing with people uh, from, you know, Germany, from the UK. Um, I have the opportunity to interact with these really interesting people. And it's, it's very intimidating when you know you've got like a, a call with, you know, VP of global marketing for Mattel, right? And you're like, oh my God. And, you know, the person comes online and her hair's up in a bun. Her dog had just chewed through uh, the power cord, you know, for the for the for her um, her laptop. And literally, I'm like, we're all the same. I mean, we're all dealing with the same issues, with the same strengths, weaknesses on you know varied levels. But it is just all people, yeah. and it just is all about you know a conversation. I, I love that. I think that's great advice. You know. Um, I, I read this cool quote. It's like curiosity is a superpower, you know, staying foolish, staying curious. And all of the things that I think I, I learned in drum corps, um, how to work together, how to motivate, how to coach, how to swallow my pride, how to not overreact, how to um, mentor, how to teach, um, you know, hitting a timeline, getting the music finished. Um, all of those things, you know, creating goals and, 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 and actually creating a, a space where the students are getting better, you know, um, they're getting better and they maybe don't realize they're getting better because you're creating a great environment. All of those things I found in pageantry that I was so scared would not apply because that's all I could do. I found out absolutely 
do apply to the real world. Not only do they apply, they, they accelerate the process. Um, Tim, how about you? What's been your biggest thing you think that has applied from, you know, being the center in 96 Phantom to being at Centerville and, and doing the, the cool duos. Uh, and I, I can't remember what year it was your first year at Centerville. I was watching that going, that's interesting. And then you walked in our warm up at Carmel in 99 and I counted off things too fast. I was intimidated. Um, all of these experiences that you've had, but like, what would you say if someone asked you, you know, the $64,000 question, what's been the biggest thing that has applied? What would you, what would you say? Not to put you on the spot. Um, no, that's good. I will say beating Carmel at that show was one of the highlights of my career. It was one of the very first things that I did that was like, oh, okay, we can, we can hang with the big dogs. I, I remember you not being happy made, brought me a lot of joy that day. Um, uh, one, of, one of the things that you realize after doing it long enough is that you just don't know who the kids are that are going to be the success stories. And I've had wow. so many students over the years that while they were in the group, I kept trying to nurture them. I kept trying to push and maybe it didn't click until later. And then all of a sudden those couple kids are now caption heads at a drum corps. And I would have never thought it when it was happening. And some of the real um, superstars ended up, you know, not doing anything in the pageantry world. And that it makes me really cognizant of how, it's our job to treat every kid the same, uh, regardless of how we think they're going to succeed right now. Um, and, and one of the things that translates to our real world situation is what I realized that, that we're doing, we're not selling something to the kids, we're giving them a service. And that one of the things that we're providing them is less risk. So if I'm writing a drill for somebody, the thing that I'm providing them is that they know they're going to get it on time. They know they're not going to have bad transitions and they know this, this, and this, and that that makes them want to buy that product. And if they know that their coffee is going to arrive on time and that it's going to be consistent and they're not going to have to redo a process that it reduces risk, that it, that takes the selling out of it. I'm providing yeah. you a service and it's not risky. I just sold myself to you like automatically. And I think it applies to all, all four of us and tons of people out there in the world. Tony, how about you? Yeah. I, it, it all boils down to relationships for me, yeah. you know, it, you know, um, and, and you never know what that connection is going to be. And, uh, you know, I, I, I try to look people in the eye and I try to be honest with them and I try to be transparent about who I am. And, um, at the end of the day, I, we're, I'm, I'm asking for their trust. And I think that translates to anything, you know, when it all boils down to it, um, you know, human beings want to be heard and they, they want to hear and they want to be heard and there's trust involved with that because our threat, our threat assessment and our defense mechanisms kick in. And, um, you know, what I have learned, especially here at Petal High School, we have 1,100 kids. Every kid has to do it. You know, I don't, I don't have a bench. I don't have 2,000 other kids. It, so that means that I have to build relationships with their families to show them something that they don't, they have no idea. All they know is everybody's excited about it, 
We have to practice how long? We have to wear what? We have to get how much we have to pay? But I promise you that this is worth it. And building that skill over and over and over again, when you apply that to selling a house or selling coffee or getting someone to buy an app or clothes or a solar panel, I find it easier. Yeah. You know, because they want those things, you know, they, yeah. they, they need those things. We, we are trying to sell an idea in the pageantry, a promise and an idea that, that is built on blind faith. Yep. So that to me, if, if I can get someone to focus on the relationship aspect, then we have a lot more legs. I saw, I saw, I saw, go ahead, Tim, sorry. I just wanted to jump in. Tony, I, I'm thinking back to how many kids, how many freshmen at Centerville I've had to convince, listen, just stick with it. You're going to love it. Or that junior that wants to quit before their senior year. And how many conversations that have just been really in-depth where I'm literally selling them on making sure that they stay in band and how successful I got at doing that when somebody comes to me and they already know they want to buy a house, I'm like, Oh, I got this. this is no problem. Right. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I, go ahead. Josie. Yeah. I was going to say too, I mean, I think there's just, we all have this sort of problem solving type of mind. There's a quote that's something like things are never as bad as uh, they seem in your head. You know, like you think the worst possible um, scenario, but it's never really that bad. And I feel like I always sort of have that mindset where a lot of people just turn into complainers and they're constantly just thinking about how terrible their current situation is rather than trying to find a solution for it. Um, and I, I hear things like this and I'm just like, you know, nothing is really as bad as it seems. And I don't understand why you don't want to just better your situation and sort of put this behind you and turn this into, I don't know, an opportunity to just solve this. <laughs> sure. You know, I, I was looking for this quote. I found it. it says, take the first step in faith. You don't necessarily have to see the entire staircase. And I thought that was just really kind of profound. Um, you know, with, with my thing, I, I look back at how I was treated when I was just this lowly saxophone player trying to figure out drums. And I remember in 1986, I went to Overton High School and I saw a bunch of drum corps. Um, and it was kind of one of, you know, I'd seen some drum corps in 84 and maybe 85, 86. And I went to their rehearsal and I was just leaning on the front wheel of their three-wheeler, right? Watching the pit rehearse. Uh, this drum corps shall remain nameless. And I heard one of the vibe players say to the other vibe player, just kick him. And I was like, oh, what? And then that vibe player goes, can you kindly, you know, get your ASS off of uh, our three-wheeler? I was like, cool. I am never marching your drum corps. No problem. Um, another drum corps came through from the West Coast. And they were like, hey, grab this drum. Jump on. We're on a water break. Uh, you know, play this, play this. All right, work on this. And I was like, so I got it. So you just kind of never, you know, to go back to uh, what y'all were saying, you just never know who you have, you know, you gotta, you gotta light that spark underneath. 
everybody. Um, some of my big takeaways I got from tonight were it's all about relationships. It's all about trust. It's all about conversations. It's all about curiosity. And none of those things um, just started to happen in the last thousand years. All of those things have been around since the very, very beginning. So I would say those are pretty four strong, four pretty strong pillars regarding um, some takeaways from tonight and how the things that we all have been lucky enough to learn in this beautiful activity of, you know, floors and UD Arena and taco in a bag and eight on a hand and diesel fumes and, and every bit of it, uh, and the smell of cut grass, um, you know, the sunshine, summer, all those things have really applied to uh, other things that we do in life that have been above and beyond maybe what we expected. So I think there's a huge lesson. Find other valuable conversations like this one on the Marching Roundtable podcast, on webinars at Marching Arts Education, and on the Marching Roundtable YouTube channel. Just search for the Marching Roundtable on YouTube, and we hope you'll subscribe. If you found this podcast helpful or inspiring, please tell a friend or colleague about it. Thanks again to the sponsor of this podcast, Fred J. Miller Incorporated, found at fjminc.com slash roundtable. This is your host, Tim Hinton, the beast of the marching arts. I work as a music arranger, show consultant, career coach, and life coach, and I'd love to help you. Contact me and learn more about my services at beastofthemarchingarts.com. And a special thank you to our editor, Aaron Osborne, who has edited every one of our over 1,000 episodes of the Marching Roundtable podcast. Thank you, Aaron, and thanks to you for listening. Hi, I'm Dennis DeLucia. Recently, I had the opportunity to shoot a webinar with my dear friends, Steve Rondonero, Tom Blair, Lindsay Vento, and it was for Marching Arts Education, uh, an operation started and run by the great Tim Hinton. And it would be terrific if you all joined, became members of MarchingArtsEducation.com so that they can continue the great work that they have uh, begun to do in behalf of all the marching arts. So please join. Check out their website, marchingartseducation.com. If you're a business that works with band directors, marching bands, color guards, or drum lines, you should sponsor podcasts at the Marching Roundtable. Our listeners are the exact audience you're trying to reach. And with thousands of podcast downloads each month, it's a great way to directly reach your target audience. For more information, click on the Sponsorship Opportunities link at marchingroundtable.com or email Tim at tim at marchingroundtable.com. You can grow your business and help support what we're doing here on the podcast.